Take your Bibles and turn to, not Philippians, but I want you to turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter one. Proverbs, chapter one. Um, I watched Rob teach last week. We're in, we're in Proverbs three. It's a section, verses one through 11. Rob taught the first section, verses one through seven. We'll pick up eight through 11 in a moment, but it's all one section. I've got to tell you, when I, as I've been studying and I watched Rob teach, this proverb was just circling in the back of my mind. Uh, I want you to look at it with me. Proverbs chapter one, verse 19. I've actually got it up here on the screen as well. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Now, when I, I won't show you my Bible, but I have it in my Bible, and this is years ago, when I'm, you know, I'm reading through a proverb a day, you know, whatever, and I make a note, and I always write with pencil, but so in pencil, I, I wrote under this verse, I wrote, gain equals loss. And, and I think that ca- that's the message of the Proverbs, the principle. There, there, there's such a thing as getting something you want and losing. That's the point of the proverb. You know, you get your gain by an unjust manner, it'll take your life is what he says. And this holds true across, uh, you know, across the board. Um, perhaps no better, you know, cultural illustration of this than uh, Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, where the books are the, or the, or the movie, but uh, to be near the ring is to want the ring. To have the ring is to lose your life. Smeagol, you know, was, was the hobbit that, you know, had, had the ring for a long time. I was gonna show you a picture of what the ring made of him, but you already know, it's Gollum. He's hard to look at because his gain so distorted his life, right, that he becomes a totally different gross creature. Y'all, there's, there's such a thing as, a, as gain that is in actuality loss. This is precisely the point that Paul is making in Philippians chapter three, verses one through 11. There is a gain that carries tremendous loss. So with that, now let's flip back. We're working through the book of Philippians. Let's go back to Philippians. We're in chapter three. We're gonna be in verse eight. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna ramp us up to verse eight with Rob's context last week. There are some teachers who are infiltrating the Philippian church and they are telling the Philippian Christians that uh, yes, you must have faith in Christ and keep the law. And in particular, they know you, you gotta be circumcised. You know, you gotta keep the religious rituals, etc. Anytime anyone ever says faith in Christ and you need to run. That's, that's what the message is because that is no gospel at all. Um, it, it was such a problem in the early church that the apostle Paul writes a letter, you all, to address the issue of people who would say that we, we gain our righteousness um, before God by faith in Christ plus. It's the book of Galatians. 
And the whole book is Paul going, how could you start so well and, and end up so foolishly as to believe there's something you could add to the finished work of Christ? And I'd like to say that the problem disappeared, but it will never disappear. And lest you and I, honestly, we kind of go, well, man, yeah, Lord, I know the kind of churches you're talking about. Let me hold the mirror up and say, we can be that kind of church. Uh, there, there's legalism in, in our blood, <laughs> may I say that, at, at, at fellowship, because there's, there's a tent, our flesh goes that way, and there's that legalism even in, in our hearts, I'm telling you, in mine and in yours. Don't raise your hand on this, but I want you to do a little survey with me, and I just, I, I want you to think about this for your own life. Um, it, and I want you to just go, be honest to say if there's even a whiff of this in you. Have you ever gone to church on Sunday and on your way home thought, man, that was a good thing to do. I think I'm gonna have a really good week this week because I went to church this week. You may go, I never do that, but is there ever just a taint of that? Like I did a good thing and therefore good things will happen. Or God's even more pleased with me. Or how about this? When something bad happens in your life, has the thought ever been in the back of your mind, what haven't I done that he would allow this to happen? That ever just shoot across your mind? Or maybe this, do you think God is more pleased with you when you have your quiet time than when you don't? You kind of go a few weeks and go, I haven't had my quiet time. I, I bet he's a little upset. <laughs> if there's the faintest trace of that, you see, that's that trace it's that, that, um, that Paul's addressing here. And what he's gonna say about it, y'all, may I tell you, is not very pretty. In chapter three, verses five, or three through six, he uses himself as an example. He says, you know, if there's anyone who has a righteousness that, that God would accept according to the law, I, I think it would be me. And quite frankly, he wasn't even bragging. It was a fact check. Born as he was born, a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, the, a keeper of the law. Uh, when he says I'm blameless, he, Paul's not saying like I've never sinned. He's just saying every sin I've ever done, I've always done the sacrifice. I've always done the sacrifice. I've always, see what I'm saying? So if there's anyone who's, who's in because of you know, their, their own righteousness and keeping the law, it would be Paul. <clears throat> and this is where our Proverbs principle comes in. Look at verse seven, chapter three of Proverbs. Verse seven. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He takes all of his religious keeping and he says, it's loss in view of Christ. And now we're gonna pick up the, we're gonna pick up the text in verse eight. And uh, this is where Paul in verse seven is looking back. Hey, everything I ever did, it doesn't count anything. In fact, I, it's loss to me in view of Christ. And now we're gonna, he's gonna speak in the present tense, verse eight, follow along in your Bibles. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish 
in order that I may gain Christ. In verse seven, he looks back on pre-Christian. All of that's lost. In verse eight, he looks at the 30 years from when he came to faith to where he is today and he doubles down. Indeed, it's actually three Greek words. It's like, let me tell you for sure. I, I got, you gotta know, you gotta know this. I count it all as loss. Now he's, now he's gone all the way up from that time where he came to faith to where he is in the present tense. On the gain side of things, it's not just that it's lost. He, he says, I, I count it lost in view of the surpassing value. It's, um, it's, a, it's a Greek word that has the word hooper in it, which means hyper. So it's I, the hyper worth of Jesus makes everything else lost. So it's not just you gotta go, this is all lost. No, if the point is, and as the old song says, when I turn my eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, all the things of the world grow strange. That's the idea, the surpassing worth of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the only time in the New Testament where he uses this phrase, Christ Jesus my Lord. It's most likely Paul was dictating the letter Right, that's how when, he, when they write these letters, he'll dictate. Someone will write, and I, in my mind's imagination, he's he's kind of working himself up, perhaps you know, just because he's trying to say, look, if you put anything with Christ, you have no gospel, and so he says it one time. It's almost like he could have said it once and been done. Look at verse seven. He says, "But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ." And we could go, "Okay, I got it. What next?" But he's not done. Secondly, verse eight, indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. We could stop there and go, okay, I got it. I got it. It's all lost. A third time, he says, verse eight, for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Here, here he's, he's using a word that, that you know, we don't see it very often. As many would say, it's the closest thing to a, uh, a, a curse word, you know, that you'd, you'd find in the Bible, this word rubbish. It's the Greek skubalon or skubala. Um, it, it's got at least these two ideas. So, and, and, and this is an excellent translation, rubbish. It's, the, it's that which would be thrown out to the dogs, that which would be garbage, okay? He, he, he's, he's not enough to say it's lost. Now he's got to put it in terms that you know, has, are visceral. So that which is thrown out to dogs, as Rob said last week and earlier, it said, watch out for the dogs because dogs were, you know, they were just, they weren't pets. They were just scoundrels and you just threw garbage or anything. You know, they scavenged for stuff. This is the sewage that they're, they're, they're gonna eat. And then secondly, it does mean excrement, doo-doo, poopy, you know, whatever, whatever you, you wanna call it, crap, you know, I mean, but and I, and I'm not saying that, I'm just saying that's what he means. He means excre it's excrement, it's repulsive. And, and it's like he's, you know, I've counted all loss. Okay, I've counted all loss. Do you understand that it's, it's excrement? It's that, he, and he wants us, why, why would he be so strong? Because to add anything to the finished work of Christ is to have no work of Christ. It's that Serious, even as, honestly, I get it, even as we would giggle. 
additions to the gospel are not just to be considered losses, they must be discarded like feces. That's what he's saying. <clears throat> That's verse eight, and I'm gonna do verse nine, 10, and 11 a little different. In 9, 10, and 11, <clears throat> Paul gives us, um, he, he explains salvation. So this is, talk about important, right? Because that's what he's talking about. How does one gain a right standing with God? <clears throat> well, he talks, <clears throat> excuse me, he talks about salvation. And you're gonna note, I'm gonna read it, <clears throat> but then I'm gonna draw it because, uh, because the way he, it, it's a neat passage in the New Testament where he speaks of salvation and the three parts of salvation right here before us. So let, let me describe it. <clears throat> excuse me. Start in verse nine. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. <clears throat> Here's what I mean. Paul in this passage, he is describing our salvation. How one gains a right standing before a holy and righteous God. In verse uh-oh, in verse 9, he's going to in verse 9, he's going to say so he's got salvation. In verse 9, He's gonna so show how we are justified. In verse 10, he's gonna show how we are sanctified. In verse 11, he's gonna show, thank you, how we are glorified. <clears throat> Everybody with me? So just, you can just almost not, you can look at the text, but I'm gonna show it to you visually. <clears throat> this is our salvation, justification, sanctification, Glorification. Verse nine, justified and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm sorry, I went, I went, I went to the sanctified. <clears throat> justified, verse nine. That I may be found in him. Y'all, that's a passive tense. So Paul is saying, so that when I stand before God, I, I will be found passive. God does this to me. God places me in Christ and I'm found before a righteous God in the righteousness of Christ. A righteousness not of my own that comes from the law. That's what he's been talking about. I'm gonna stand before God and I'm gonna stand before God not with a righteousness that says, look, I've kept all the 10 commandments. Look, I've done all the sacrifices. Look, I've kept all the feasts. He's not gonna stand before God with that righteousness. He's gonna stand before God with a righteousness uh, not that, comes, that doesn't come from the law. He's gonna stand before God with a, a righteousness, and here's the, here's the key term on this type of righteousness, in which a righteous God declares a person righteous. It's a, it's a judge saying, not guilty. Yes, it's a moral righteousness, but it's a, right, it's, the, it's a righteous God declaring righteous this person. Does that make sense? 
Now, think about the righteousness of God. The only righteousness acceptable to a holy God is that holy God's righteousness. We, we, sometimes we don't remember that. that. That the righteousness that's acceptable to God, it, it's not a human righteousness. It's, not, it's gotta be his righteousness. Does that make sense? Because he's a holy God. How in the world does anyone get God's righteousness? Because that's the only righteousness acceptable to God. Well, that's what Paul says in the verse. That which comes through faith in Christ. It's a righteousness that's ours through our faith in Christ. A righteousness, righteousness from God. You see which way that righteousness is going? Righteousness from God that depends on faith. Y'all, when you think of justified, we gotta keep this in mind that justification is a moment in time. Okay, so there's a moment in time when you are declared just or justified that it lasts forever, that it never changes, i.e., it can't be improved. Everybody with me? Super important. That's our justification. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you say, you, from your heart, you believe, you trust that Jesus Christ lived the life you couldn't, that he died the death you deserve, he was buried and rose again, you trust that, you are declared by God justified in Christ Jesus. Go to sanctified, this is verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. This is sanctification, and I'll just go ahead and make a note of this because I want you to see the contrast. This is a process over time. See the difference between justification and sanctification? Um, never finished in this life. Your sanctification is never finished in this life which means always changing, always growing. Sanctification is that term that, that we use that describes you come to faith in Jesus, you are justified. From the moment you come to faith in Jesus till the day you die or he returns, you're living your life and the Christian life, you all, is the process by which what is true of us in Christ becomes true of us in our life. Our hearts become more like Jesus. Spiritual growth, spiritual maturity. The reason you're not in heaven right now is because you're on this planet such that you would live your life and I would live my life, but to become more like Jesus, to show the world what a redeemed person looks like who's placed their faith in Christ whom God has saved. And so that I can tell other people about Jesus. So this, our sanctification, listen, it goes up and down and sideways and we're at different places in our growth and in our sanctification and our growth in Christ. Does that make sense? 
that we would know the power of his resurrection. What is the power? Paul says in, in sanctification, we, we experience the power of his resurrection. What is that power? Well, Romans 8, 11 says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living in you. So the, the, the power of the resurrection, you all, is the person of the Holy Spirit who lives in the Christian, the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead, the power of God lives in us. Now, I mean, we look at each other and go, really? The power that raised Jesus is in me? Yes, the Holy Spirit who indwells us is the power of God who lives in us. And Paul says, I, in my sanctification, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Come like him in his death. Paul's already told us in chapter one, verse 29, you remember this, it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Y'all, our sanctification, I wish, it, I wish it weren't so. This is, the Bible teaches us. Yes, there is power, Resurrection power and death. This is a part of our sanctification. Um, I'm not going to rain on our on our joy parade because this is a book of joy, and I'm not raining on it when I say this. But our process of sanctification, becoming more like Christ over and over and over. Joe, I don't know where that went, so we'll go without it. Our process of becoming like Christ over and over and over is more like a funeral than a festival. And you go, man, this is, what, a, what a bummer, you know, like, wah, wah, you know. Um, but this is, this is what the Bible teaches us. Our sanctification, I'm gonna say this again, is more like a funeral than a festival. Now there's joy, there's, there's festival in it. But if we're going to experience the power of the resurrection, think about it. What precedes a resurrection? If you're gonna experience the power of a resurrection, what has to happen first? See, we've, death. So, so, so our sanctification, can I say it like this? Is death, power of the resurrection in my life. Death, power of the resurrection in my life. And you go, okay, Lloyd, explain that a little more. Okay, let me put it in these terms. I'm gonna die to my agenda to live for your good. Power of the resurrection. You wanna experience God's power? You know, may I say this? Die. That's what Jesus said. Do you want to experience the power of God in your life? Do I want to experience mine? Lloyd, die. What do you mean die? Die to your agenda. Die to love those who God has put in your life to love. It's, it's our deaths. It's our deaths by which we experience God's power. Didn't Paul say that? In weakness, we're made strong. 
it's a constant string of funerals. That's how we grow. Dying to ourselves, experiencing power of the resurrection. In sanctification, death and power, death and power, they're, they're two sides of the same coin. If you want more, you know, I know, I, God, I want more power. What's the word that comes? Die. Then die. Well, then we go to glorified. That would have been the last one. So you got, you got uh, justified, sanctified, glorified. And look how he, he, he states glorified. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. By the way, he's not, he's not thinking that he's not gonna be glorified. It's like, I don't know how it's gonna happen. Trust me, Paul is assured of his resurrection and glorification. Now, justified, we're sanctified, and we're glorified. Now, what, I think it's just interesting the way he describes glorified, that, that time when we're made complete and whole in the fullness of God's presence. He describes it as resurrection. For the, for the Jew, there was no sense for them of um, when, when, uh, when, they, when they die and they look to the afterlife, that there, it, it, it would occur in a disembodied, spiritual, ghosty spirit thing. For, for them, there's no life apart from embodiment. And so when they looked forward to that day, it's different than that. You know, we kind of talk about, you're gonna be in heaven. You know, for, for them it was, I'm hoping in resurrection that this fallen body and when it's in a casket or dies or whatever happens, when it's gone, I, my hope is that that body will be resurrected and rejoined with my spirit with God forever. And it's just, we don't, you know, I don't know, we just don't think about heaven or whatever that way. You know, it's kind of like grandpa's, grandpa's in heaven and, and probably most, how do you picture that whatever for the Jew? It was a resurrected body that is ours in Christ Jesus. Now, what I wanted to show to you, and I, I won't do it on the screen, but, I, but I, you can easily see it here. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Justified, sanctified, glorified. If you are justified, Sanctification and glorification are yours. You, the, the certainty of your glorification is based on the certainty of your justification. That's why this matters so much. That's why Paul is hammering this, you all, to remind us you're justified by faith in Christ period. To add to it, you see, would, could eliminate your justification. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We've said this so many times over the years. Jesus plus something equals nothing. I'll say it a different way. Jesus, faith in Christ, not reliance upon good works or, your, or the keeping the law. Faith in the finished work of Jesus plus nothing equals life because life is to be in relationship with God. That's called life. 
faith in Jesus plus something, whatever, equals death. Because what is death? What is death? What's the word for death that we talk about a lot? Somebody? Separation. Separation. Somebody had it. I know you said it. Separation. Y'all, death is not like, mm, they're gone. They're not here. Any, they're, you know, they expired. No, it's separation. To be separated from God is to be dead. Which is why, you know, when you put your trust in Christ and Jesus says to know, to know him as eternal life, your eternal life begins the moment you trust Christ because you're with God forever. So, some of you already figured this out. I've got a, I've got a gift box and I've got a grocery sack. Now, in the grocery sack, you know what's in there, don't you? It's real, people. Our dog, Pearl, I, tra- I tracked her a few days and gathered her feces. That's what's in here. So, you know, you see people walking around the neighborhood with these, right? I mean, because this is what you do now. You pick, you know, back in the day, could you imagine our parents picking up their dog's poop? I don't think so. Um, so it's just funny to me, but that's what we do today. So I've got a bag of, of um, Pearl's doo-doo here. And then uh, and the gift, the gift is the cross. I love this cross because it came from South Sudan. The ladies of South Sudan, they'll, they'll make these. And if you're ever there, you know, they go, yik, yik, yik. they make this sound, you know, Karen, you know that sound, holding up their cross. Um, so this is one that I, I brought from there. And so y'all, I know there's, there's a part of this that's like funny and, and I get it, um, but here, here's, what, here's, here's why I'm doing this. Because I, I, like Paul, I could say it once, I could say it twice, but he had to say it a third time and do it in a way that's like, ugh. And that's what I, that's what I want us to know. So on that day, on that day, be, there will come the day when either Christ returns or you die and you will stand before God, we will stand before God. And the, the question is, when we stand before a holy and righteous God, uh, how, in whose righteous, what kind of righteousness do we bring before this righteous God? And I just want you to see this, that can, can you imagine that, that you stand before God and, and he says, and I've asked this, you know, many people use this question, you know, why should I let you into my kingdom? And we say, because I've trusted in the finished work of Jesus. He, he lived the life I couldn't. He died the death I deserved. He was buried and he rose again. And I believe in Jesus. And I've brought a little of my own stuff too. I've got a little stuff I've done over the years. I've really done some things. You know, it's funny and it's not, isn't it? Can you imagine? See, because what Paul is saying is to stand before a holy God with your cross and your poo-poo is to stand only with what you got. That's what the point is. You have no cross. You have no gospel. This is all you've got. And so Paul, he's emphatic that when we come before our God and when we consider what, how does one gain a righteousness that's acceptable to God, there's one 
one, one person, Jesus. And it's our confidence in the finished work of Christ and Christ alone that gives us a right standing with our holy God. Could you imagine saying to Jesus, and, 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 and we do, I even said all of us are, have that legalism in us. We, we do this and it's, we need to repent of it. But can you imagine looking at Jesus and saying, man, thank you for dying and bleeding and suffering on my behalf. Thank you for hanging on that cross for experiencing the rejection of the humanity that you made and the rejection of your father. And, 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 and here's a little bit that I did too. You know, it's like ridiculousness. It's sin. It's no gospel. It's no gospel. Which brings us to our invitation to joy. You know, we're going through this book and at the end of it, it's about what you live, not just what you learn here in this text. How do we live it and apply it? I'm gonna invite you to do at least two things. The main thing is to count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, your Lord. That's, you know, Philippians is, a, the whole book's an invitation to joy. So after every message, we're saying, here's our invitation. Here's the invitation today. Not something for you to do when you leave here. It's for now. It's just, this is what, based on the text, by the power of the Spirit, what do, we, what do we do, Paul? And I would suggest this. We count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus your Lord. And, and two ways we might express this is repentance. So I say, turn your back on anything you put your confidence in besides the finished work of Jesus. We can do that in subtle ways. I'll trust the spirit to show you how that shows up in your life. It could be that you, it could be that you think you, think you know Christ, but, but you're also holding on to that. And this is a time for you to let that go, to repent and let it go and put your full trust in the finished work of Jesus. And then secondly, it would be believe. Yes, that putting your trust in Christ. So repent and believe. And by the way, may I say, that's, that could be an application for someone who doesn't know Christ. And it's certainly an application for all of us who do. Let me ask you to stand. We've, uh, we've built our time, our schedule in such a way that we would have the time to respond in this way. We've got, it's gonna, we got some more time here is what I'm trying to say to you. So we did put the, the, the kneelers and, and the chairs up at the front that if you want to come down and kneel, you can. This is just, trust the spirit to nudge you and then, and then move, <laughs> move your body, whatever the spirit would have you do, express your heart. You can come down here and kneel and and, and pray from here. We've got the Lord's table cups down here so that if you forgot to get one in the back, we are gonna take the Lord's table here in a moment. You can take it down here. And this is where I want you to have the freedom before God to kneel where you are, sit, stand, whatever you'd like to do or come down here and do what God would invite you to do. And I pray that as we sing, these songs, as Lindsay has said, we, we pick them for a reason. They rein, prayerfully, they reinforce the message. And so may all of us who know Christ ponder the great cost he paid and that he, it's done. We don't, we don't do anything that enhances his righteousness. 
We have his because of his great and full obedience that we can say Christ Jesus, my Lord.